With more screen usage and indoor time, myopia, also known as nearsightedness, is increasing and getting worse in children. Now, certified eye doctors can prescribe MySight one day, the first and only FDA-approved soft contact lens to slow myopia progression in age-appropriate children. Visit coopervision.com to find a Brilliant Futures certified eye doctor near you. Your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun. Your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. MacU Health with Micromycel, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromycel technology. Welcome back to part two of my interview with Dr. Alessio Fasano. In this episode, we continue our gut microbiome discussion. Dr. Fasano gets specific on the best ways it can be restored and strengthened. If you're new here and you like our interviews, press like, subscribe, share, and hit the bell. Also, please leave comments. Be sure to watch our full-length documentary. Open your eyes on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube movies and shows. You mentioned before a little bit about some of the roles of the microbiome, what it does, uh, how it makes essential vitamins. Uh, if you could go over some of the some of the details of what the microbiome does for our body, what are some of the essential uh, functions of the microbiome? There are four or five that are super essential. Um, one again, uh, we are not able to scavenge completely all the energy from our food. Nowadays, this may not be that important, but brings back two million years ago. I mean, if you don't take full advantage of what you have access to, you may not have enough nutrients to really survive. So the microbiome gives you this extra mile, so to speak, of you know, scavenging nutrients from your food. That's extremely important even nowadays for the quality of these calories and what they do for us. Many, some vitamins, particularly some vitamins of the complex B, um, you know, in order to have enough with the diet, we should eat an humongous amount of, 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 of this uh, uh, you know, um, products, and we do not. Uh, we can't, but the, the microbiome will provide the, the, the additional amount of, of uh, vitamins that we need. Um, I, we discussed some length that I don't want to go back to the role of the immune system. That's extremely important. And again, in the first thousand days of life are extremely, I would say, instrumental to decide our destiny. You know, remember that two million years ago when, uh, you know, evolutionally speaking, we built the immune system, we were meant to fight a single enemy, infections. You, you know, you, you, uh, the, the average survival age was 14, 15 years. You don't leave enough to develop diabetes or cancer. So the immune system was fighting only infections. How? Creating very hostile environments that is the inflammation too hot with chemicals like cytokine and chemokine that will kill the bacteria, microorganisms, and so on and so forth. The tissue that's inflamed dies together with the enemy, but the entire organism survive. So the idea is turn on when you're under attack and you definitely need to de de defeat the enemy, but turn it off when the enemy is being, you know, 
you know, defeated because you don't need to continue the information that will become detrimental. The first thousand days of life, it is the microbiome that programmed the immune system. Where should I put the bar? When it's time to unleash inflammation. So if there is a friendly symbiotic relationship, the bar will be put very high with the programming to turn on and off at the right time. But if there's an imbalanced microbiome, the bar will be played so low that we develop inflammation also for trivial, non-essential, non-important stimuli. And it's a matter of time in a specific genetic background, this will lead to a negative outcome. So that's a key element of the function. Last but not least, a balanced microbiome protects us against enemies, against you know pathogens. Penicillin is not produced by microorganism to kill another one. So, you know, again, imbalanced microbiome is the best way to protect against, you know, pathogens. So these are the main functions that the microbiome does for us. As far as feeding a baby, at what point would you introduce wheat or would you never introduce wheat because that first thousand days is so important? <clears throat> I think that you, we don't have evidence to delay the production of wheat uh, um, as a way to, you know, um, have a better microbiome. So again, if we introduce wheat uh, at winning for six months, um, improper amounts, of course, we have seen no difference in terms of the trajectory of these kids coming when it comes to uh, their clinical outcome compared to the ones in which um, you know, we delay uh, you know, the introduction of wheat. We had a, a, a very well designed you know, um, trial in which we took 700 neonates at risk for severe disease because somebody in the family had severe disease. And we had some of them they introduced for six months and some that delayed the introduction at 12 months. The one that delayed uh, the introduction, delayed the onset of the disease, but the total number was exactly the same of the ones that they introduced gluten for six months. So. It just merely delayed the, the onset, but doesn't prevent it. Now let's talk about the gut intestinal lumen and how it controls antigen trafficking. Okay, that's something that also was overlooked forever. Because, you know, in order to develop any inflammatory process that affects any parts of the, of the body, including your eyes, you have to have an enemy that will be in touch physically with the immune system that see the enemy and therefore start to the chain of events that leads to inflammation. These enemies in general are very large molecules, are proteins, what technically we call non-self antigens. So in other words, proteins that do not belong in our body. And, you know, the field of immunology always gave it for granted that this protein somehow gain access in our body but never really we realize how, you know, again, um, if you look at the physiology of the GI tract that, that, that represent the largest interface with the environment, given that the, the skin doesn't allow anything to come through under physiological circumstances, while the gut does, um, you know, you would not be able to bring in any big molecule whatsoever. It's built to avoid the big molecules will come in. So how did that happen? We didn't know that. So the gut is covered by a single layer of epithelial cells that in the past were considered to be sealed in between each other with a sort of seal cement. So everything that comes from the environment 
has to go through the cell and not in between. However, through the cell, large molecular peptides, they cannot come in. Matter of fact, if we want to make use of proteins that we eat, they need to be dismantled in their single elements, amino acids that can be brought in and then burn to make calories or remount based on our genetic you know, uh, programming to make our own proteins. But large peptides coming from the environment is in no way. And, and again, the entire field changed dramatically in the 80s when the Japanese group proved that there is no cement in between cells. There are gates, technical tight junction. Most of the time, these gates are closed, but because they're gates, you know, the principle is that they can be open and closed. And that's what happened. And the problem is when they are open for too long, that's created a shortcut for this large molecule to come through and being seen by the immune system, they instigate part inflammation. We have great information about what makes this gate, how they're formed, but very little about the key until almost 20 years ago, we discovered this molecule, zonulin, that is the modulator of, of these gates. And when pushed to the limit, so when it's produced too much, it's been associated to a variety of chronic inflammatory diseases from, again, aging to infections to, uh, you know, neurodegenerative disorders to autoimmunity, to allergies, to uh, um, cancer, and so on and so forth. So clearly, it's the loss of barrier that keep at bay this enemy that has been a key element um, as I was telling you before, together with the genetic, the environment, the immune system, and the microbiome in creating the syndicate uh, to develop inflammation. So the gut is the, is the gatekeeper for the inflammatory response, and you speak about that beautifully in gut feelings, and I don't want to give too much away, but if you could talk about how the T-cells you know, in and, and your book, you mentioned how what stays in Las Vegas, the gut doesn't like it because the T-cells could go throughout the whole body. And that really is what's causing all these, well, part of what's causing so many of these problems is the T-cells, the, the, these powerful cells from the immune system. And, and, am I, and am I correct in saying that 80% of the immune system is, from the, is in the gut? And, and if you could also at the same time explain the GALT, because people are very surprised to hear that 80% of your immune system is coming from the gut and the power of these T-cells. Oh, absolutely. The, 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 the most, the, the richest organ in terms of immune function is definitely the gut. And, and what you alluded to is not that, you know, uh, this is residing there, stay there. It's extremely dynamic. If you look at the gut associated lymphoid tissue, this gold, it's like a, 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 an army made of different subspecialties. There is the, the, the army, there is the air force, there is the navy. So there are different subsets of cells that do different things. They are the, the ones that will deploy immediately when we're under the attack, like the 3D cells and monocytes and so on and so forth. And then there are the B cells, the ones that will produce weapons, they are the antibodies. Uh, that in, in the mucosa of the gut, they are mainly IgA can be secreted in the gut, lumen, and they make the secreted IgA, they fight the enemy outside the wall of the seed, so to speak. But the ever artillery are these T cells. These are the ones that they can create a huge amount of damage. Now, for reason that we start now to understand, when activated, so when exposed to this enemy that comes through this increased gut permeability, these immune cells are committed against a specific enemy, let's say casein or gluten or whatever that will be. 
And every single time that they see this enemy, they really fight and create huge damage. However, what we learned that, you know, some of these T cells, we stay on the battlefield, they create inflammation locally. And so you have inflammation in the GI tract. But some of them are programmed to leave the gut and go anywhere. For example, in your eyes. And, you know, I know, for example, in UVI, this, uh, at least in an animal model, when they look at these T cells there, they have on their surface some specific markers, like the alpha 4, beta 7, CCR9, that tells me once upon a time I was homing in the gut. That's where I'm coming from. So they've been programmed in the guts to go after something and then leave there and go to a different district, in this case, the eye, and create the inflammation, the distance there. So that's the reason why the gut immune system and, and how this is influenced by the microbiome is so instrumental to understand why we develop inflammation anywhere in our body, including our eyes. And this will open not only new diagnostic paradigms, but definitely new therapeutic targets. I mean, it's so interesting because it, it's a great explanation of autoimmune disease, and it could affect any part of the body, whether we're affecting the eye, the brain, the skin, uh, that is starting from the gut. Absolutely. I mean, again, Kerry, uh, let me tell you something that is not a given because there's a lot of controversy in the matter, okay? Most... I would say many uh, classical immunologists believe that in autoimmunity, when you turn on the autoimmune process, that's it. You are, you've been switched on, you know, the process that cannot be switched off. I really have a hard time to believe that this is the case. The reason why is let's say that indeed that this is due to a mutation of a series of genes that put me at risk to develop um, multiple sclerosis or develop diabetes. What is my genetic advantage to maintain these genes? There is only detriment. <laughs> I don't have any advantage. It is not that I have sickle cells that will be less affected by malaria, therefore that mutation protects me against the infection of malaria and increase the penetrance of that mutation. I have no advantage. In other words, the concept that there are genes that put me to turn on the autoimmune insult, it cannot be put turned off it's against any logical explanation. A matter of fact, celiac disease, now that is undisputably a, a, an autoimmune disorder, unique because we know the trigger, is proving me that if I stop the trafficking or the exposure to the insult you know, elements, I gluten, let's say put on a gluten-free diet, I turn off the entire autoimmune process. So, if I knew what was making me sick with diabetes and I take it out, I was supposed that the same will happen. The immune system, in other words, is doing only the job this is being programmed to do. There's an enemy, I've been activated against this, I need to fight because I need to get rid of this enemy. If the enemy is not around anymore because I go gluten-free or I stop the gut permeability by stopping the uh, permeability of, of, of these elements, that should stop the process. Now, COVID-19 can cause, as a consequence, an autoimmune you know, response, mainly due to the leak from the gut 
into the bloodstream of the spike protein, the one that we've been after with these vaccines. The spike protein is called a super antigen. So in other words, it's capable to activate the T cells that will expand and create the cytokine storm typical of some of the complications of you know, um, COVID. One of the most frightening complications in pediatrics, rare but extremely severe, is called multi-organ inflammatory syndrome or MIS-C. In this condition, we found zonulin increase, spike that got access in the bloodstream with the consequent situation of you know, the cytokine storm and you know, insult to the heart, the lung and so on and so forth that these kids they experience. Giving them an zone inhibitor, larazidide, that the FDA allow us to use as a compassionate use, block the spike trafficking, so the, this antigen doesn't come in anymore. The inflammation goes down and these kids, they feel better. Demonstrate, and, and, and Missy now is considered an autoimmune disease. This, all this to say that if we will find a way to stop the exposure to the instigating antigen, either by, again, I can see the disease taking out from the equation or by stopping the antigen trafficking, we may eventually stop autoimmunity. So autoimmunity is something that can be reversed. That's my sense. MacuHealth, your science born and tested solutions for visual performance, macular degeneration, and dry eye syndrome. New products coming soon. Embrace the science. OIE Broadcasting is the emerging leader in social media. We use scientific entertainment to drive more patients into your office. Visit OIEbroadcasting.com and sign up today. Lorazotide, do you think that's something that's going to be able to be given for all autoimmune disease? And is that something that we should consider for uveitis? If, if, if nature repeats itself, I think that there is a fair possibility that you know, this is a drug that is in phase three trial for severe disease and now in phase two trial for missing two autoimmune diseases. If this will go on the market, given the superb safety profile of this molecule, I will not be surprised if somebody at some point will try this in uveitis and other autoimmune diseases and see if indeed can do the trick. And, and you, you talked about the, the blood brain barrier, the blood retinal barrier, and the tight junctions in the gut from uh, the zonular, is it all the same? All the same. The, the, the tight junction in the gut are, are the control the spacing between epithelial cells. The tight junction in the blood-brain barrier and the blind, you know, um, um, eye barrier are controlled by endothelial cells. They are made by the same structure. They are modulated the same thing. As a matter of fact, some conditions back autism you know, we found that the, the destruction of the gut barrier parallel destruction of the blood-brain barrier in these kids. And the same has been shown in multiple sclerosis and, um, you know, Alzheimer. You were instrumental in discovering zonulin. Did you name it? Were you the one that gave it the name zonulin? And yes, I did. Where'd you come up with that? Where'd you come up with that? Because the uh, the, the Latin, uh, you know that I'm from Italy, so I like Latin better than uh, you know other. The the, the Latin uh, you know name of tight junction is zonula occludens. So zonula occludens is the counterpart. It's the synonymous of tight junction in in uh, in in, uh, in Latin. So that's the reason why I call that zonula. There was something that's really interesting that the gene coding for zonulin uh, 
the gene encoding rather, is located in chromosome 16, and which is only what, about 3% of the human genome, but chromosome 16 is involved in all these different diseases. Oh, yeah. Can you explain the interaction between that? Well, you know, again, the logical interpretation is chromosome 16 is loaded with a, a variety of genes that control function that has to do with autoimmunity. So uh, it, it probably they are, they're meant to be harmonizing their action. And that's the reason why they sit on a chromosome that they can only for you know, a little bit less than 3% of the human genome. But the, the, it's a extremely important function right there. And are there, is there an assay that you, I know there are some companies that have a, like Eagle Bioscience that measures zonulin. Uh, is that something that you measure? And is that something that you would recommend myself or other clinicians uh, measuring in the clinic? So we don't have a good measurements for gut permeability periods. The zonulin assay, um, it's still a work in progress that needs to be validated a little bit further because, you know, we don't know exactly, you know, Zonin, by the way, is not a single protein, but it is a group of proteins, a family of, of, you know, proteins. Some of these assay, you know, test more efficiently some of these members of the family versus others. So, uh, you know, I believe that, you know, at some point, somebody will come up with, with a Zonin assay that will clearly tell us what, which members are measuring. But I know that in Europe, the zonin assay is, is widely used uh, for clinical purposes, much more than here. I see that now, you know, papers coming out from the United States suggesting that, you know, people that are using this as a biomarker of, of gut permeability as well, but mostly from the scientific part. The clinical applicability is not as widely diffused as in Europe yet. Is it something that you're using in your clinic? Um, rarely, to be honest with you, because I really would like to see the validation of this assay. Interesting. So when we look at some of the, 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 the things that cause the gut to be compromised, one of the, one of the, some, some of them are drugs like PPIs. Can you give us your feeling? On, I mean, you're a gastro guy and PPIs are used in by the gastro people, but are they only supposed to be used for two months? You know, I see pa patients that have been on it for 10 years. Yeah, again, uh, we didn't know the, the, the negative impact that the prolonged use of PPIs can have on us. And, and, and I, I'm so sorry to be a broken record, but this goes back to the microbiome business. So what the PPI does is to uh, decrease the acidity of the, G of the stomach, of course. And, you know, on a daily basis, we, uh, you know, swallow gadazillions of microorganisms. 80% of them are eliminated in the stomach because they don't survive gastroacidity. Now you lose that barrier. So you have a huge flux of microorganisms that now you have to sort who is stay, who goes. So who is friend, who is uh, an enemy? Who is compatible with my genetic? Who is not? And put this, you know, the system under tremendous stress. And some of the consequences, for example, is the increase of incidence of the ICE in clinic of small intestine bacterial overgrowth because now you have this huge amount of microorganisms that got there and they are able to colonize the small intestine where they are not business to be there. That cause increases zonulin, increased antigen trafficking, and increase of consequences. So. Again, cost-benefit ratio, you know, uh, you know, back to how, how clean should I be? How much PPI should I take? 
couple of months to defeat the, um, you know, the, 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 the effect of the acidity of my symptoms makes a lot of sense to me. I was very worried and I was rightly so worried when, uh, you know, PPIs were given the possibility to be, that you can just walk at the pharmacy and, and pick up from shelves. Because now, you know, people, as you said, are PPIs, uh, right now, people, they start really to appreciate that there is a consequence if you. How often do you recommend or prescribe a PPI for a patient? Only when I have strong evidence of, of a, a, a acid, you know, dependent inflammation by endoscopy or the symptoms are so compelling that it's obvious that's the case, but never for prolonged period of time. I don't do that. And artificial sweetness such as sucralose, there's been studies to show that it negatively affects the, uh, the microbiome. Correct. For the same reason of an imbalanced diet. Now, how about uh, fecal transplants? There was, is that something that you're involved in? You've done any studies on? I know that they've had some small studies that it helped insulin resistance or, or uh, C. diff. Uh, if you yeah, can talk I, about that, where are we yeah. That. So I, I was involved in the pilot study for um, autism, actually, uh, as a proof of concept. Uh, again, this is a still a shot in the dark. It's like to reset the uh, button of the ecosystem of the gut in a very meaningful and, and aggressive way. Take everybody out and bring in, you know, a brand new, you know, ecosystem. Um, is that the future? Probably not. But in the meantime, I believe for C. difficile, colitis not responding to antibiotics has been clearly the best indication that is out there. And now there are some, you know, experimental indication like autism and diabetes and so on and so forth that people are looking into. And is C. difficile really is because the, the, the gut microbiome has been devastated from antibiotics? You put a bombshell on the microbiome, 90% of the microorganisms there, you know, susceptible are gone. C. difficile is capable to survive and now has no check balance with other microorganisms and take over. <laughs> That's what it is. And that creates inflammation, of course. As we finish up, I just want to go over some clinical uh, things. And so symptoms of uh, dysbiosis, you know, if you could go over some of the symptoms and uh, and what you're looking for when, or as somebody watching this say, okay, I have my gut microbiome isn't proper. I have the wrong type of bacteria or microbes. And now I have something called dysbiosis. What are the symptoms that these people will be having? The vast majority of people will experience GI symptoms like bloating, stomach ache, uh, um, um, you know, um, um, uh, abdominal cramps, um, Irregular bowel movements can go constipation, diarrhea. Uh, sometimes this can be really um, severe. Others, they can have symptoms that are so vague that you don't even know. Uh, chronic fatigue, uh, short memory loss, uh, um, you know, uh, the, the, the feeling of heckness in the entire body. So in other words, the sign of chronic inflammation and they don't know where this is coming from. Now, people that eat and then they wind up with the swollen belly, you know, especially at night, uh, what's that usually from? I believe that the small intestine bacterial overgrowth is the most logical explanation because there is an immediate effect uh, of, you know, food that is fermented uh, by this microorganism, the small intestine, the, the, the final pro product fermentation is gas. 
And people that are so hungry at night, you know, they're not hungry during the day, but they're just hungry at night. What, what do you think that's related to? Uh, hard to say, uh, you know, again, it's, it's still an issue of metabolic imbalance that is created by a microbiome that is not spreading out that resource of nutrients coming through the day, scavenging the proper nutritional, you know, uh, elements, and therefore you waste more than you're supposed to, so the glycemic level goes down much faster. That's a possible explanation. And with obesity, uh, I know there was some studies with twins and the diversity, and it, it, there's a type of bacteria called firmicutes or firmicrides. If you have more of those, are you more at risk for having obesity? Yeah, I mean, this is very descriptive. Uh, we don't know uh, uh, all the data. Uh, uh, um, you know, I believe that uh, in part, well, well that's a sign of, of, of dysbiosis, of course. Um, and, you know, uh, I believe that now we have, uh, uh, we have more elements uh, that suggest that the sphermicutes bacteroidetes uh, um, uh, ratio um, is it, just the surface of what will suggest that something's going wrong in terms of the balance of the microbiome. And my last question is, there was a study about antibiotics and people who took uh, five courses of antibiotics over 15 years had a little bit greater than 50% greater risk of diabetes. Of that, more than anything else, will prove your case. If you could comment on that. Yeah, I mean, you know, some critical you know, people, they still believe there is no cause-effect relationship there. But I believe that, you know, it's pretty telling that, you know, taking the antibiotics comes, you know, um, with some consequences. Once again, you have a meningitis, the cost-benefit ratio is to go for antibiotics, but otherwise you die. But when you, for, for particularly in young kids, that again, a crucial time of, of microbiome maturation, we use an abuse of antibiotic when we saw that the vast majority of infection in the first three years of life are viral, that makes no sense. You know, you just, you know, undermine the capability of these kids to continue the trajectory to find the right relationship with the his or her microbiome. And my last question is, there's been studies with schizophrenia, mental illness, and the microbiota for people at home that may be suffering. Uh, is there something you could say to them? Well, again, um, you know, schizophrenia, mental health disorder, and chronic, you know, depression—they are all neuroinflammatory conditions. We know this is a fact. And if you know whatever we discuss for a fast hour or more uh, makes any sense. If inflammation is really generated by, you know, this inappropriate, you know, uh, microbiome interaction with the host, I, I have some hope there. So I, I, I see animal models already pinning out with some results that are very promising. Hopefully this will come to fruition to, start, to clinical applicability sooner rather than later. And is there anything that I've left out that you want to tell the audience? Kerry, uh, we've been pretty exhaustive, but again, I, I believe that again, the goal is for us now is mainly to change the way that we approach healthcare. Uh, we cannot continue what we're doing to just give it a try with the medication, knowing that the best medication on the market, they have 40, 45% efficacy signal. The future is personalized medicine. In other words, I want to know beforehand if I take a drug that I will respond to that. And most important, primary prevention, much cheaper and you know, quality of life will be much better 
if I prevent the problem rather than fix when the problem is already materialized. All this implementation of new way to do healthcare will impose to look at the microbiome more and more carefully because that will allow us to stratify the population, do target intervention, and most important to do primary prevention. I want to thank Dr. the great Dr. Alessio Fasano for joining me today. If people want to get the gut feelings, where could they get it? I'm sure it, pretty much anywhere, but anywhere. Amazon, of course, is the, the most logical place. And I want to you know, stress that Susie Flaherty and I that wrote this book, we're not going to make any money out of it because whatever comes out of the revenues will go back to science and again to research, sports research of what you read in that book. And if people want to find out more about Dr. Fasano, how could they do that? Go on, online, uh, Google my name, uh, look <laughs> at the website uh, of, 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 of MGH, Harvard Medical School, you will find me easily. Dr. Fasano, thank you so much for joining me today. You're, you're, you're unbelievable. You're helping mankind. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for joining me today on Open Your Eyes and helping the vision community learn a little bit more about how the gut is so important. Thank you, Dr. Fasano. Thank you, Carrie, for having me. Very much appreciate it. Your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun. Your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. MacuHealth with Micromicel, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromicel technology. Fitting multifocal contact lenses presents a big opportunity to meet patient needs while growing your practice. Alcon is your partner not only with our innovative portfolio, but through e-learning. Learn to enhance your multifocal strategy today with the Alcon Experience Academy. OIE Broadcasting is the emerging leader in social media. We use scientific entertainment to drive more patients into your office. Visit OIEBroadcasting.com and sign up today. Each generation was supposed to be healthier than the last one. Lifespan was supposed to be increasing. We were supposed to be in this paradise by now. Instead of getting healthier and healthier, it seems to have gone the opposite way. Millennials were projected to be the first generation in history to not outlive the generation before them. We are certainly headed for disaster. I think a lot of people are beginning to question the whole story. We live in a time where the paradigms are shifting. And the optometrist, in my opinion, is one of the best kept secrets. The public doesn't realize about going to the eye doctor. So many different diseases actually manifest in the eye. The back of the eye is the only place in the body that you could actually see the blood vessels. Completely non-invasively, you can screen thousands of people, not just for their eye health, but for their whole body health. Because this disease is here, it's also going to be here. And I can look into the back of my eyeball, and there are expert doctors on the ground who are looking at my eyeball while I'm doing it. The eye is the canary of the mind. The eye is the kingdom. Well, everyone, please 
Since I bought Safe for You, my dad makes me clean his boat. Es natural y es un buen producto. Every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe for You products. I bring extra and my roommates certainly don't mind. It's a good thing I had Safe for You to clean up after this little guy. When my hands get dry, I like to wash them with Safe for You. And most importantly, the reason why I buy Safe for You is because it's safe for me and you.